Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, I want to talk about communication and how some poorly chosen communication prevented Lando Norris from scoring his maiden F1 victory just last year. The team learnt lessons from that, and of course we can learn lessons from it too. Welcome back to Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And now I say this every week, but I genuinely mean it every single week too. Thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much to those people who left reviews and ratings in the podcast store this week. I appreciate that. I'll always be truly grateful for it. Thank you to those people who tagged me on social media when you've been sharing the podcast. It honestly means the world to me. It makes my heart glow to see those things happening. So thank you. Please continue to do it. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This week, as I said in the intro there, we're going to talk about communication, a subject that all of us should be familiar with. We do it all of the time, every single day of our lives. Every business runs on communication. Every family, every friendship, every relationship should be built around good communication. Relationships that fail in life or in business tend to fail in many cases because of poor communication. Since leaving McLaren back in 2009, I've now built a career talking about great communication to companies. I spent a lot of time inside McLaren studying the subject, learning the subject, developing processes around the subject of communication that would hopefully lead on to more and more success within the world of Formula One. Since leaving the team, I've tried to learn more and study more and develop my own processes that might lead to more and more success beyond Formula One in the world of my life and, of course, my businesses that I've run since. Communication is everywhere and it is so critically important to every single thing that we do. And yet I truly believe that not many people and not many businesses really are very good at it. Not many businesses or people maximise or even understand, I believe, the importance of communication. Communication can really accelerate us towards success, but it can just as quickly bring us crashing down to earth when things don't go as we expect. At McLaren, we appreciated how important communication was in every single aspect, in terms of the way we communicated with each other within the team, how we communicate to the outside world. We had an entire communications department, of course, for that, as every Formula Formula One team does. We learnt how to communicate with each other between the car and the pit wall, the driver and the team during a race scenario, how the team talked to each other during the high-pressure environment of a Grand Prix situation, using communication technologies that weren't always perfect, Radio comms that sometimes had interference that weren't always the clearest of platforms to communicate on. We had a situation at the British Grand Prix one year where our communications between the team and the driver 
were interrupted almost comically by a local Northamptonshire taxi firm who had jumped onto the same frequency as us and were literally relaying messages about local pickups to David Coulthard and Mika Hakkinen whilst trying to compete in the British Grand Prix. We were trying to call them in for pit stops. They were hearing about some guy who wants picking up from a Chinese takeaway. I mean, this was literally happening. This is absolute truth, believe me. So communication, when it breaks down, can cause all manner of problems very, very quickly. And the problem, of course, is those problems can escalate equally as quickly when there isn't that communication there to resolve the problem. So communication is absolutely key. The way we talk on the radio, the messages we relay to the driver, in the high pressure environment of a Formula One race, of a Grand Prix, you have very little time to communicate some sometimes really important messages. You have to use wording that is clear and can be understood, that won't be misunderstood or misconstrued for other wording. We use some similar protocols to the protocols that the military use on their, on their radio communications for exactly the same reasons. Part of the reason that teams call their drivers in for pit stops by using the term box, box, box is because the term pit or come in for your pit stop, pit stop or pit can be misconstrued for other things. The way that word sounds or those word sounds and there's science behind this can be easily misconstrued for other communication signals that we might use. Box, box, box is a standalone communication signal that can only mean we're coming in for a pit stop. Now we have a number of these kind of things that are communicated long before the event even happens. It's a language almost that has to be learnt by all of those people involved so that when the message comes across, it can't be misunderstood. And actually, being misunderstood is one of the biggest problems with poor communication. That's the reason that poor communication leads to so many issues. Because whatever communication you're trying to relay can be misunderstood or misconstrued. And when that happens, the response that comes back from that communication can be the wrong one, which can lead you down the wrong path, which can escalate a problem to become something more serious. Communication, being clear, being understood, is absolutely crucial. Now, I was in Dubai this week, just for a day, uh, talking to an enormous global logistics company at a communications conference that they were holding in Dubai. Now, for a long time now, I've been using Formula One as a model to talk about the importance of communication, relaying some of the things that I learnt and studied whilst in McLaren and since leaving McLaren about how communication can be a differentiator for your company, for your business how it can stand you out from the crowd and elevate you to a level that far exceeds another organisation, one of your competitors that maybe doesn't have the same level of communication skills at their disposal. It can be one of those things that creates an advantage for you that can generate success in the business world. And so I travel around, I speak to companies and I relay these things that I've learnt, some stories that I've been through, things that I've developed and the company and the team have developed over time to make these communication skills better, to allow people to understand how to learn these communication skills for themselves, making sure people understand the importance of communication skills. 
Ever since the Russian Grand Prix of 2021, I have added a new story to my messages, to my speeches, to my talks that I give around communication. And that story relates to the situation that McLaren and specifically Lando Norris found themselves in towards the very tail end of that Grand Prix. Now, many Formula One fans will remember exactly how that played out. If you, don't, if you don't remember, it's that moment where Lando was leading the Grand Prix, found himself in that unexpected position right at the front of the race. Real high pressure situation. The guy behind him is Lewis Hamilton, seven time world champion, a guy who is in a title fight and looking for that eighth world title. He's got everything on the line here. Lando is desperately trying to hold Lewis Hamilton off. And they're on slick tyres, of course, because the circuit's dry. But then, with just a handful of laps to go towards the end of the Grand Prix, it starts to rain. Lightly at first, just starts a bit of spitting. But it's a warning sign of things to come. Now, Lando Norris is in that pressurised situation at the front where he's the first guy that needs to start thinking about making a decision if the rain's going to get any worse, about changing tyres. But there is literally three or four laps of this race to go. So it's really easy to look at that and say, well, I've only got three or four laps to go. Yes, the circuit's getting a bit slippery. But if I pit now and Lewis behind me decides not to pit, well, I've just given up the lead voluntarily. I've given up my potential race victory voluntarily in that moment. Now, you'll remember what happens, I'm sure, many of you. But the way the next few moments played out really changed the game for Lando Norris and for McLaren. And ever since this race, and I'm going to play the radio communications to you in just a moment. But ever since that race, I have used this as a model, as an example of how not to communicate, of how poor communication can create disastrous circumstances for you. Because in that moment, towards the end of the Russian Grand Prix, Lando Norris communicated messages back to his team in a way that really, in my book, ended his chances of winning that race. Now, I'm talking about the things that he said, but equally as importantly, the way that he said them. And specifically, what impact that had on the people on the other end of those radio messages and how it impacted their decisions and what they felt they could do next. This is the way it played out towards the very end of the 2021 Russian Grand Prix. Track very slippery from here to turn 10. Lots of cars going off. Yeah, shut up! Lando, what do you think about it, Inter? What do you think about it, in Inter? So! Now, I always use that radio communication as an example of how not to do it. And it's pretty obvious when you hear it back like that, isn't it? It's pretty obvious that Lando was responding through emotion. And perhaps, you know, to some extent, that's really understandable. He was in the most pressurised moment, potentially, of his entire career. He's leading the Grand Prix with a seven-time world champion breathing down his neck. Just a couple of laps to go, and it started to rain. I mean, it's a nightmare scenario for a young driver. However, in that moment, what Lando did when the team were simply asking for feedback, for information... Knowing that the team have more information than the driver does. Now, we can all see this from the outside. I know this from being in that situation in the past. The team have access to weather radar information that may well be suggesting that this rain is going to increase in intensity over the next couple of minutes. 
that there is a heavier shower due to hit the racetrack and it might hit in the next minute or so. So maybe just for the last two laps of this race, the rain's going to come much heavier. Lando, of course, doesn't have access to that information in that moment. It may be that it's not that clear cut. It may be that it's really ambiguous as to what's going to happen in terms of the weather. No one really knows. And that actually in that moment was much more the case. But what Lando Norris did in that situation was shout so aggressively, so angrily, so pent up with emotion that that little line of communication or those couple of lines of communication made the team feel on the pit wall that they couldn't really respond, that Lando had shut them down. He'd shut down that line of communication and they then feel in that moment that they can't go back with more information to Lando because of the aggression and emotion that he's shown. Now, probably what was the right scenario and the right outcome in that moment was that Lando should have been, with hindsight, it's easy to say, more considered. He should have been less emotional. He should have given the team feedback about how the car felt in that moment, but that if it was going to get worse, then he would need to change for wet tyres. This was a communication all around do we pit or do we stay out on the slick tyres? Stay out on the slick tyres, you've got to get to the end of the race. May only be a few laps away, but conditions were becoming treacherous. Make the pit stop, go on to the inters, the wet tyres. Well, you might have a tyre that's much more suitable to the conditions in the last couple of laps, but you've given up essentially that lead position, that first place in the race. Now, similar situation, of course, was happening at every other team, but crucially, it was happening at Mercedes. Just one car back, a car being driven by Lewis Hamilton. A very similar communication was happening. However, it played out very differently. Interestingly, Lewis Hamilton also didn't really feel like he wanted to pit. He didn't feel like the right decision from his seat behind the wheel was to give up track position and come into the pits to make a pit stop. He felt like conditions in that moment were okay and he could have made it to the end of the Grand Prix. However, with his team, they had a bit more information. They were fairly confident that the rain was going to at least at least continue at the same intensity, potentially get worse. But it certainly wasn't going to ease up in those last couple of laps. And so the communication between Lewis Hamilton and his team on the pit wall was much calmer. It was much more considered. It was much more open. It was a two-way communication. It was a dialogue around the situation, a dialogue that led to the conclusion that they all ended up agreeing on that Lewis Hamilton should come into the pits, should change his tyres and get himself onto the right tyre for the conditions in that moment. They didn't feel comfortable to take the gamble that Lando Norris was very much prepared to take, given that he was absolutely flushed with emotion and intense pressure surrounding every thought, I imagine, that was in his head in that moment. He wasn't thinking clearly. He wasn't thinking about the other end of the communication that he was relaying. And the aggression, the intensity, the emotion behind that communication prevented his team from feeling like they could come back at him with even more information that might change his mind because he closed it down immediately in his first few words. 
Now, the team equally had a responsibility to relay information to him. And so on both sides, there were breakdowns. On both sides of that communication between McLaren and Lando Norris, there there was huge room for improvement. And I happen to know that the team have spent a lot of time working on exactly that since that day. I heard Lando Norris speaking about this recently, which prompted it to jump back into my thoughts again. How they have learnt huge lessons from that moment. Lessons that I now pass on to businesses and companies around the world, and I'm hoping I can pass on to you today. Communication is not just about how we speak. It's not just about the words that we say. It's both of those things. It's the words that come out of our mouths, but also the way we say them. It's also the look that's on our face when we say them, if we're face to face with somebody. It's the tone that we say them with, the volume, the intensity, the aggression. Are we saying it in a calm voice? Are we saying it in a kind manner? Words are one thing, but the way they are spoken and the way they are communicated are equally as important. Now, one of the challenges over the last two years for everybody, but equally for Formula One teams, has been communication being reduced to fewer levels or fewer layers than we've we've become used to over the years. One thing is that we've been less likely to be face-to-face with people. A lot of communication might have switched to online messaging. It might have switched to chat software or email. We may have had the opportunity to do face-to-face-ish communication through video conferencing, but it's not the same. It takes away one layer because we're just seeing a tiny little piece of the environment of the person that we're seeing on the other end of the call. There might be delays. It might be not the best connection. We might be jumping frame to frame. We're not getting every single piece of visual information to go with the audio information that might be coming in at the same time. And on top of that, when we have been in the same room as people, and this I know is something that has affected Formula One teams, the debriefs that happen after every Grand Prix or after every session at a Grand Prix have been conducted by a team of people who are used to sitting face to face, who know each other very well, but are now shrouded in face masks. There's a layer of communication that's taken away, stripped back in that moment, where we can't see facial expressions. We are limited in another layer of communication that's so valuable, so crucial. Communication works best when we employ every single layer of our communication that's available to us. Our body language, our facial expressions, our tone and intonation, and of course the words that we say. The best communication utilises every single one of those layers, both from the person giving the communication out, but also from the person receiving that communication as well. And learning how to interpret all of those different layers of communication is a skill, a skill that can be developed and should be developed by everybody. Businesses, of course, businesses are are based around communication internally and externally, but also relationships in the real world, families, friendships, romantic relationships. They are all centered around communication. They can all be elevated through communication or broken down through poor communication. 
It's crucial. A lady came up to me at the end of my talk in Dubai this week. And she said to me, she said, oh, I really enjoyed it. She said, it was really interesting to hear your perspective on communication from a Formula One team's side of things. She said, I had an, an incident last year where, and it's happened before, she said, a couple of times, I've responded to an email in the wrong way. I've, res- I've responded angrily or aggressively to an email. And the person on the other end of that email has then become defensive and responded in an angry or aggressive manner too. And before you know it, this has escalated into an all-out war. She said, last year, I responded to a group email from somebody or an email from somebody on a group that I thought was an aggressive attack on me. And she said, I immediately, I, I enraged, I immediately jumped onto the keyboard and wrote something back that was really aggressive in a defense of what I thought the attack that I was under. She said, but in doing so, because this email went out to a group of people, within 15 minutes, a number of other people had taken offence at what I had said and had escalated the situation into all-out war and responded back to me in an equally aggressive fashion. And before you know it, there's this massive rage happening throughout the entire team within the company. And it took the person who'd sent the original email to get up from his desk, walk what she said was only about 15 metres across the office floor and come and ask me what on earth was going on because that's not what he meant at all. It took a bit of face-to-face communication with the facial expressions, with the body language, with some intonation and tone that clarified what the email communication was supposed to say in the first place. And that face-to-face communication managed to mellow the situation, to melt away the anxiety and the aggression that had built up from everybody and then a couple more emails later and the whole situation had managed to calm itself down she said I do this she said I can't help but misinterpret things on emails and texts and respond in the wrong way and the first thing I said to her was look never never respond to an email through emotion never never make an immediate response to an email email is a type of communication that rarely ever requires immediate response because if it's an emergency if it definitely requires emergency and immediate response most people won't be communicating that kind of information in an email they'll be jumping on the phone or they'll be coming to see you and it's the same with a a text and it's absolutely the same with tweets and online communications these are not urgent so Stop, take a moment, consider what might have been meant. Is it possible you've misconstrued a message? Or the person has just sent a little typo in a message that might mean might mean that that uh, takes on a whole new meaning itself. Text communications are an absolute nightmare when it comes to misconstruing them, misunderstanding them, misreading them, misinterpreting them. They leave themselves open to that because there's only one layer of communication there. And it's literally a series of characters that pop up on your phone or your computer screen. That is the most basic form of communication. The more layers we can get into our communications, the better they're going to be. And when we refer this back to Lando Norris's communication to the pit wall at McLaren at the Russian Grand Prix, that was... A communication that was overshadowed by one layer, the layer of aggression 
the anger, the tone of his voice that was angry, that layer of communication there was so overpowering for the rest of the message that actually he could have said some very similar words to that, but in a different way, and it would have left the lines of communication open. So the team felt they could respond and they could have a dialogue about what they thought might be coming in terms of weather. Together, sharing their information between them, they could have come to a far better conclusion and potentially won that Grand Prix. As I record this podcast, Lando Norris is still without a Grand Prix victory. And I would go as far as to say that that communication breakdown could well be the reason he doesn't have one. If something as huge, as significant for a young Formula One driver like Lando Norris as a Grand Prix victory might have slipped away just because of a few poorly chosen words said in a poorly chosen way. Imagine how serious, how upsetting that could be. What implications moving forward could that have? Now, on the plus side, the team have analysed that. They've broken down in the same way that I've just played you that radio communication. They will have played it down, played it out over and over again. They will have listened back to it. They will have analysed it. They'll have talked it through and they'll have learnt a huge amount. And in the same way that we learnt when I was back in the team about how to communicate well with each other internally and externally, they'll be going through similar processes. That learning never stops. And whatever disasters or failures or mess ups we have, the one positive you should always be able to find is that there will be learnings in them. But what a shame it was that a different conclusion might have been reached, a different decision might have been made that might have led to possibly the greatest day in Lando Norris's career to that point if he'd made those choices slightly differently. So look, the way this gets better is by, in a similar way to the way we talked last week about dealing with pressurised situations, about making the right decisions in pressurised situations when things go wrong. In the similar sort of way, we can train ourselves to communicate better whilst under pressure. The reason Lando Norris spoke in that way to his team was because he felt under massive pressure. And that pressure had overwhelmed him in that moment. It overwhelmed him to the point where he was unable in that moment to think clearly about how he wants to speak or what he wants to say. And it just came out with great consequences, as we've discussed. You can train yourself in the same way that we talked about last week to start thinking about your communications. And the way you do this is actually very similar to what I said last week. You can start to train yourself to communicate better in the moments when it doesn't matter so much. So when the email comes in and you read it and you have to read it again, you think, hang on a minute, that is somebody being aggressive? Is somebody being angry towards me? Are they accusing me of something? Is this an aggressive email that's just dropped into my inbox? In those moments, which may not be huge, it may be small things. It might be somebody complaining about the way you've parked your car. It might be somebody moaning about the way you look that day. Are you not wearing the right uniform at school? It could be anything. Those little moments, the ones that still wind you up, but they don't have massively severe consequences. Start training yourself on those because they happen to us all the time. How can you think about what you're going to communicate in return? 
Can you think about what's on the other end of that communication? Why might somebody have sent that message or that email to you? Why might somebody have said a certain thing to you? Is it because perhaps they've misunderstood a situation? Are they feeling like they're under some kind of pressure that you don't know about? Are they struggling with something? Think about why the message might have come to you in the first place and then start to think about what they're going to think when you send your return or your reply back. How is your communication going to impact the person on the other end of it? Is the dialogue going to remain open or are you, are you shutting it down? Are you ending this conversation or escalating this conversation in an aggressive manner? Because those things clearly can't be good. They're not going to resolve a situation. They're not going to end up with something positive if you just keep escalating it. So can you dissipate the situation? Can you clarify it? Can you explain what might have happened that they might have misunderstood? All of these kind of decisions, all of these kind of thought processes are much easier to work your way through on the things that don't really matter so much. And if you start to train your brain to think about your communications on the smaller levels, gradually you can start to escalate that up. Gradually it becomes just part of the way you think about communication over time. And gradually, by the time you get to a serious situation that requires some real key, carefully considered communication, your brain, your thought processes will be honed and fine-tuned to deal with that in a much better way than you otherwise would have been if you never go through this process. It's a process we talked about, we went through at McLaren. It's a process that we developed, we took and ran with it. We developed it ourselves. We developed our own versions of it. And now stopping and thinking before deciding what to say and how to say it is a critical part of how I operate, but all based upon how the Formula One team that I worked for operates. That mess up at the Russian Grand Prix, yes, it was a mess up. But it's also a big part of the learning process. And I happen to know from hearing Lando speak on this that these kind of things I'm pretty sure won't happen again. Communication is a skill that none of us are born with, but we all learn and start to learn very, very quickly. As a human race, it's something that's developed over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's evolved to the level that we're at today, which is at a very advanced level. Multi-layered communications. Those layers, as I said, are something that we have that most other species clearly don't have. It's what sets us apart. Our levels of communication are so advanced and yet quite often we don't use them all. We don't utilise them all. And particularly over the last two years where we face challenges of being able to utilise them all, we have to start thinking about communication a little bit differently. If we lose a layer of communication by having to wear a face mask, we might have to focus a little bit of extra attention on the other layers of communication that we still have available the choice of words, the tones and sounds that we make when we say those words, how we gesticulate, what body language we use. And even though a mask might be covering our face, we can still utilise the other layers of communication at our disposal to make clear and concise communications available to us. If we're restricted to some kind of text communication on an email, think about the choice of words carefully. Read it back to yourself before you hit send. Think about it from the perspective of the other person who's going to receive it. 
Is there anything in that in that email they could misconstrued or misinterpret? Maybe add on to the end of that email the option for that person to give you a ring. If you're not clear, pick up the phone, give me a shout, let's talk it through. With those words attached, you introduce the option of bringing in more layers of communication than just the text of the email. So there are loads and loads of things we can do, but communication is so important. It's so critical. It's so crucial. It's so valuable to us that I would encourage you this week as a lesson from the pit lane to start thinking a little bit more about how you might communicate like a Formula One team communicates. Think about the words you use, the choice of words and how you say them. Think about who you're communicating to and what type of communication is going to suit them best. What are they going to respond best to? And if there's a communication that you think might not work, don't use it. Don't send a text. Send a voice note where you can use your own words and use your own intonation. It's a familiar voice to the other person rather than just a series of letters popping up on their screen. Utilise technology at our disposal. Jump on the phone, jump on a video call. So much communication technology is at our disposal and we have to be able to train ourselves to use it in the most efficient way. Okay, let's move things on because I've got a note in my diary that simply says priorities. Now that needs some explaining and expanding upon. But uh, first of all, what I want to do is just tell you how my week's been because it's been a crazy busy week for me this week. And that comes off the back of a couple of previous crazy busy weeks that went before that. So let me just tell you what happened. Uh, Last weekend, I was at the NEC promoting the new Wheeler Dealers Dream Car Show. Uh, on stage, in live events, doing some media stuff, some PR. But it was a full-on three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On Sunday night, I drove home. On Monday, I drove two hours up to the Wheeler Dealers workshop, did a full day of filming. And on a Monday night, I drove to Heathrow. I flew overnight to Dubai, landing early in the morning on Tuesday, where I then went to an event, an all-day event, with the global logistics company talking about communications that I mentioned earlier on. On Tuesday night after the event, I flew home back to London, back to Heathrow. I landed at 5am, jumped in my car and drove up to Milton Keynes. In Milton Keynes, I stopped in a McDonald's car park where I got changed into a suit. I put, uh, I had a, a half hour sleep in the back of the car. I got a burger for breakfast and then I drove on to the Red Bull Racing facility up in Milton Keynes where I spent an entire day working at a motor industry research group, talking to businesses in the automotive sector about recruitment. Again, through the Formula One model, looking after their staff about how that becomes a differentiator for them. At the end of that day, I drove home. And on Thursday morning, the next day, I drove back up to the Wheeler Dealers workshop. It's a two hour drive. It's a four hour commute every day that I go there. I drove home again on Thursday night and I drove back again on Friday morning. On Friday evening, after another day's filming, I drove up from the Wheeler Dealers workshop up to the National Conference Centre where I had to attend a dinner and speak after dinner to another group of people about Formula One. Now That event finished around half past 11 on Friday night and at that point I drove back in my car back down to St Albans, hour and a half away 
where I jumped into a hotel and woke up early on Saturday morning for another full day of filming on Wheeler Dealers on location. Finally on Saturday night, that's yesterday, I drove home. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I loved that. I'm not moaning and complaining. There'll be many people out there that have worked more hours, that have worked harder, that do that more regularly than I do. The reason I'm telling you it is because whilst that's a crazy schedule for a week, I loved it. I have no problem with that. I'm not complaining in any way. I love my job. I love zipping around the world. I love doing what I do when I get to these locations. Talking to people about Formula One is my passion. So I love it. Filming the Wheeler Dealer show is also something that I absolutely enjoy doing. So you never hear me complaining about work because I love doing it. What I've realised, though, this week is that there are always or almost always unintended consequences to the decisions that we make around our goals in life or our career goals or our work decisions, the things that we choose to spend our time on. Go back to last week's episode, how we choose to spend our time tokens on things can often have unintended consequences on other things and other people around us. Now, what became obvious to me this week is that some people around me have suffered because of some of the decisions and the choices about how I spend my time, albeit on a professional level, have affected them. Because how it's affected them has been an unintended consequence on my part. And the reason it's been an unintended consequence is because I didn't think of it. I didn't think about how my busy, hectic work schedule might impact other people, notably my family. This week I've seen my children suffering because I'm not there, missing me, and really starting to have an impact on them because of that. I've seen my wife struggle. Claire has been left at home this week managing the house, managing project managing, the build of our, our our actual house, massive building project going on right now. She's in control of that. She's been looking after children, but one of my children has been sick off school all week. So been at home. So she's been looking after that, looking after the dogs. And on top of all of those normal things that everybody has to do every week, she's holding down a pretty high power, very important, more than full-time job. So she's got a full-on life full-on role as well. And yet this week she was having to do all of the things that we would normally do together on her own. The bits outside of her work have all fallen on her plate because I just haven't been there. And I haven't done anything wrong in sense in the sense that I've just been doing my job. And my job you know, happens to take me to some far-flung places. I tend to be away quite a lot. But some of those things, some of those decisions that I make about which jobs I take, where I take them, how long I commit to them, can have some unintended consequences. And it got me thinking about this whole idea of unintended consequences, the knock-on effects of some of the decisions that we make, both in terms of how we spend our time, what we spend our time doing, what decisions we make both in personal and professional circumstances. And it kind of thought about, I thought about Formula One for a second, as I always do in these things, try and refer it back to Formula One. And when I think of unintended consequences in Formula One, I always think to some of the 
knee-jerk rule changes that have been made over the years, where people have, or Formula One has made, a change to the regulations to try and overcome one problem, but they haven't really thought it through enough, and it ends up having a knock-on effect or an unintended negative consequence somewhere further down the line that may even sometimes be worse than the original problem they were trying to overcome with the rule change in the first place. That's been a common theme of Formula One over the years. This year, though, 2022, we are just embarking on a new season with perhaps the biggest set of rule changes, certainly in my lifetime, potentially ever in the history of this sport. Sporting regulation changes, technical regulation changes, financial regulation changes, completely new cars, a completely new look of Formula One. Everything's changed. Now, some of those changes have been made for really good, valuable reasons, to try and make the sport fairer, more equitable, to make the racing more entertaining, closer, more competitive racing that fans want, to give teams up and down the spectrum of the grid more opportunity to be competitive. They're all valuable, valid reasons for making these regulation changes. The big difference with the 2022 regulation changes is that what Formula One did this time around was engage the services of all of the stakeholders within this sport. All of the people who are going to be directly affected by these regulation changes, the teams, the drivers, the technical departments from those teams, the financial departments for the teams, sponsors, track organisers, race promoters, all of these stakeholders have had a say in how the regulation should be shaped. Engine manufacturers, the FIA, they've all chipped in over a period of probably two years or more about how these regulations should look and how they should work. What the goals are, what the targets are, but also what the methods are going to be to achieve those targets. Now, typically what happens, particularly from a technical perspective, is the FIA or Formula One will construct a set of regulations and they'll give those to the teams and the teams will spend a huge amount of time in the build-up to a season when they're designing their cars, looking for loopholes in those regulations, trying to find an opportunity that perhaps no one else has seen. This time around though, to try and prevent that from happening because what can happen there is it can end up with somebody finding something that suddenly everyone else needs to have and an all-out spending war ensues to make sure that everybody's got it. This time around, to try and prevent many of those loopholes from appearing in the first place, the regulators employed the services of those on the other end of the regulations. They thought about bringing in the people who would be affected by those regulations and getting them to look them through, getting them to be part of the decision process as to what the regulations should look like. If a team found a potential loophole that could be exploited, of course, with so long to go before these regs would ever be imp implemented, there's no way of knowing whether you are the only team that's found that loophole. It may well be that everybody's found that loophole, and rather than go down a route of having to commit hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds to exploit the loophole, you get it shut down. You flag it up in the process of developing the regulations. And so all of the teams 
constantly flagged up potential loopholes within these regulations and then they were written out to the point where we're now at the point where the cars are hitting the track and we haven't got these massive loopholes that would have been in the first, second, third iteration of the regulations when they first came out because the regulators thought about who might be affected and how they might be affected by these regulation changes. And it's a really interesting concept and a concept that probably we should all start to think a little bit more about. When we make these big decisions or changes or decisions that might have an impact or an effect on other people, it would be amazing if we're able to bring those other people into that decision-making process more often. Now, clearly, it's not always possible. But I thought about it in my own situation, in my case. Quite often what happens is I get job offers coming in to go and speak at an event somewhere. And it might be in America or it might be in the Middle East or it might be anywhere. It might be around Europe. And I will look at my calendar and I'll say, OK, yeah, I've got a gap in the, in the calendar there. We're not filming on that particular day. So I could go. That's what happened in this this week. I had a, a gap where I wasn't filming on the Tuesday or Wednesday. And when the jobs came in, I filled it with a trip to Dubai and a trip to Red Bull Racing. But of course, on the other side of those two days, I was filming on the Monday, the Thursday, the Friday and the Saturday, having just spent the whole weekend at the NEC. So in reality, that decision that I made to go off and do those two jobs, although they bring in money, they help to fund the family and everything else that we need. The reality is that by making that decision effectively, because I've been working solidly the week before and then ran through the weekend, also working and then ran all the way up to yesterday, Saturday, there's a two or three week period where all of a sudden I haven't seen my wife or children because I've taken the decision to work in every available gap. That's an easy decision for me to make because I love it, because I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. What I hadn't really taken into full consideration was the unintended consequences of me making those decisions. And if I'd thought about it more like the Formula One regulators had thought about the 2022 regulations, if I had included my wife and potentially even my children in some of these decisions, I might have come to different conclusions. Maybe I'd have still gone or maybe I wouldn't. But at least the decision or the conversation could have happened around what it might mean to the other people on the other end of it. I've spent so much of my life being away, traveling, chasing the dream of Formula One, building a career since then, building my business and the other businesses that I'm involved in. A huge commitment, a huge time commitment, one I'm very prepared to make because I can see the benefits that it might bring in the end in terms of career success, career progression, the progression of the business I'm trying to establish and build, financial resources that come from it, of course. But if the unintended consequences end up being a greater negative than the problems that I'm trying to overcome by bringing in financial resource and all the other things, is it worth it? Now, this is starting to sound very dramatic. It really isn't. I'm just making the point that every decision we make, a little bit like the butterfly effect, every decision we make can have consequences, sometimes far further reaching than we might appreciate. And this week it was 
around my wife and children that I realised those effects were happening under my nose that I hadn't perhaps taken enough notice of. And so now I'm going to start to try and do that more. Now, it doesn't mean I'm suddenly going to stop working. I mean, we can't do that. Most people can't just suddenly decide not to go to work. But perhaps we can choose to spend our time tokens, referring back to last week, where we're not at work in a slightly different way that might dedicate some more downtime or some more dedicated time to the people that might be suffering when you're not there. Am I spending enough of my time when I am here utterly focused on the children and on my wife? Perhaps not. But now I'm going to try and focus to do that more. It's a part of the development process that I'm suddenly appreciating has more importance than perhaps I've been giving it. And so that that was the, the message really around this week. That was the idea. Can we think differently about how we make decisions and what knock on effects those decisions have? Formula One, I believe, has done it really successfully in 2022 with these new regulations. We're a couple of races in now. The new regulations look like they're working. They're delivering the things they set out to achieve. And so far, I haven't seen too much in the way of negative knock-on effects or consequences. And perhaps some of that is partly down to the fact that the way we came to the conclusions and decisions that we made was very different to the way we've done it in the past by bringing the people that are affected by them into the conversation in the first place. So thinking around that way might help us all to be a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more aware of what might be going on outside of our own field of vision due to the decisions and choices and behaviours that we display every single week. Have a think about it. I know I will be this week. Now, I just want to wrap up this week's podcast by reading out a message that I received this week from somebody, John Griffin, who listened to the podcast last week on YouTube and then left me a message underneath. And I'll read it out to you quickly and then we'll discuss it because John says, another great podcast, Mark. Thanks for recording these. They are very helpful. He says, I like to sit down to think about what I want to accomplish in the next day or week. Then build a plan. What do I need to improve or incorporate? I review it at the end of each day, make and redirect myself, then schedule blocks of time to focus on progress towards goals or block out the world if needed. Be accountable. I use the ABC method when things go wrong. A equaling the activating event or the thing that went wrong. B equaling my belief system and then C equaling the consequence. He says, don't let emotions take over to get angry and upset and use B, i.e. the belief system you have to avoid emotional responses, become clear and logical in the way you move forward. And the reason I wanted to read that out was A, it's a lovely message to receive, but B, it links in really nicely with everything we've been saying around this week and last week's podcast episodes. And it was a really nice way to think about it. John seems to have this under control or he seems to have a really nice method that works for him to start thinking about things when something happens that's beyond his control or something that doesn't go how he's expecting it to do. Having a clear conscious belief system in place that you have decided upon yourself that you figured out over time. It's that belief system that you can then refer to in the moments when something goes wrong to find yourself navigating a path towards 
the correct consequence or the consequence that you want to find yourself at, not the one that the thing that went wrong might otherwise have you sending the down the path towards. So I thought it was a really nice message from John. So John, thank you for sending it. I appreciate it. I really appreciate everybody who sent me messages and there are lots and lots of you. I have responded to almost all of them and any I haven't yet, I promise you I will because it's something that's really important to me. If you're willing to take the time to send me a message or to write me a note, ask me a question, then the least I can do is take the time to try and answer that question or write back to you or at least acknowledge with a thumbs up that I've heard you and I appreciate what you're saying. So please keep those coming. If anyone has a question they'd like me to try and answer or feature at the end of next week's episode, I'm going to try, like I used to in season one, to allocate a little bit of time at the end of each week to answer one of your questions or to discuss a point or a topic that you'd like me to cover. So feel free to send all of those in. And if you can use the hashtag pit lane life lessons in any social media uh, platform that you send it to me on then it'll be much easier for me to find uh, any of those would be much appreciated and great so thank you as ever i would really love it if you could give me a rating and especially if you can review the podcast in your podcast store wherever it is you're listening to this particularly apple podcasts just take a moment it literally does take less than a minute to leave me a rating and a very quick couple of words of review if you've enjoyed it. It means the world to me and it means the world to the podcast. So thank you very much. Um, That's going to be it for this week, folks. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful week, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, In seven days time, I'll be back with another one. Don't know what it's going to be about yet, but that's the way this podcast rolls. We'll see what happens in the world of Formula One. We'll see what happens in my world, in my life. And I'll find some things that we can pluck out of all of that and learn some lessons from that perhaps might have come from the world of F1 that we can all benefit from in our daily lives. So have a wonderful time, guys. Don't forget, do the right things and do the things right. I'll see you soon.